0: What's going on? This is the Saturday on South podcast. I am Conor O'Gara. Will, great show lined up. We are going to talk about what it actually means to threaten Bama and why there's now a unique threat that isn't Georgia. And it's one that a certain Will Ogburn may or may not have some thoughts on. We'll get to that. Aaron Murray is going to join us a little bit. We're going to talk some quarterback things, some Georgia things, and then we're going to close with SEC quarterbacks in the NFL draft in bold and brash. A question, what does it take to actually threaten Bama as in like Bama, the team without two coordinators who casually just signed yet another number one recruiting class, even though the dynasty is totally dead might have missed it on signing day Not right
1: there what you just said i've never thought of the fact that they pulled in a double recruiting class with zero coordinators is so funny because it's like yeah whatever we're gonna do it's gonna work we don't even care who it's gonna be get in here dude you know it's gonna work
2: (laughs) they had two coordinators
1: in flux because i realized like all right the hay was already in the
0: barn with with their class and everything but Mm -hmm. their coordinators were very much in flux like in december of what's what's going to be the next step and it was Pretty, it was pretty widely reported of what Bill O'Brien was going to possibly be leaving for with the
1: Patriots, and we didn't know necessarily about the holding stuff. But you, you get what I'm saying, it's yeah. Like, and it's, it's just, negative recruitment, right? It's it's what other teams would be able to say, you know, Peaking's out the door, you know, like because if you knew it, they knew it. So that's all I'm saying is they were able to just say, all right, whatever. <laughs> exactly, and, and that is why this
0: this juggernaut is is unbelievable, and something that Tom Luganville was talking about with my friends over at the next round was that. If anybody else was pulling off a class like this that Bama just had, we'd be freaking out about it, but because it's Bama, we're just led to assume, okay, no big deal. This is just kind of what they do, and I don't even really mean to get into the recruiting stuff today, but we will because it is a part of this, the overarching question that I want to be able to answer, what does it take to threaten Bama 15 years into this thing, it's kind of amazing to run into people who still don't understand why their team isn't about to overtake Bama or why is Bama so good year after year after year. I don't think there's any debate that Georgia has finally given us the model. And I I say that knowing that they only beat them once. I think that's worth understanding. Keep that in perspective. I don't want to upset too many Bama fans just by saying that because we know that just beating Bama once doesn't necessarily mean that you're all of a sudden threatening them and you're taking away everything that they had. But the caveats that we need to narrow it down to are these three things, Will. And let's also make sure that we understand what it is to threaten. That's that's something I was about to say. The
1: word "threat," like, ooh, yeah, (laughs) it sounds scary.
0: It is. It is scary. That means beat them multiple years in a row to win the division or win the conference and or win the conference. Right? You can't Mm -hmm. just be a team who's you know seven and five and you get a one off here and there. Actually, threaten them, beat them, and then get what they want. That's the goal. It appears that's going to change with the division dynamics once Texas and Oklahoma join the conference, hopefully in 2024, but at least by 2025, that's going to just change the overall dynamic of who can threaten Bama on a yearly basis. What does that look like? And and we're going to have the expanded playoff and all those different things. So the conversation is going to shift, but we should get out ahead of it a little bit. And we do this thing every time a new team beats Bama. It's assumed that that team is going to become a threat, even though Hugh Freeze's old Miss squads and 2011 and 2010 as well, LSU. They're still the only teams to beat Saban in consecutive years. The irony is that Ole Miss has lost seven straight to Bama since then, and LSU won those two games in 2010, 2011, and then, of course, lost eight consecutive games to Alabama. At hey, least two
1: and two in their last four, though. All right.
0: So... That's key. That's great point, Will. <laughs> that's all
1: digit- <laughs>
0: that's all that matters. Why did that happen? Because they checked two of those three boxes. To be a threat to Bama, you must you must check all three boxes. Here are our boxes, Will. Top five talent that's based on two, four, seven sports talent composite rankings, which have been tracked since 2015. So it's a little bit of a gray area with the first part of the Bama dynasty. But you can kind of get a sense of that if you go back and look at the recruiting rankings, who's stacking top five classes, all those things. You also need the right offensive scheme that makes Alabama defend the entire field and. And this is the caveat that gets a little bit lost in the shuffle when we get ahead of our skis. You need a coach with a proven track record. Difficult because usually beating Bama is the thing that gives you a proven track record. And then we kind of jumped the gun with that. But it's different. And here's why. Those mid-2010 Ole Miss teams had not top five talent they definitely didn't have top five talent but they still had as many five stars on the roster as ohio state at that time which is kind of crazy to look back and think about that they had the right offensive scheme under hugh freeze and they forced bama to defend the entire field but they didn't have a coach with a proven track record as in how do you handle success we can Mm -hmm. safely say that hugh freeze did not handle success well enough to be a threat at bama make of that what you will That, of course, was the issue with Ed Odron at LSU. Coach who did not handle success well. We saw the scheme when they changed to 2019. Everybody knows how that went. We saw the talent. We didn't see the coach who knew what it took to win 10 games on a yearly basis at the Power 5 level, specifically in the toughest division in college football, the SEC West. LSU under Les Miles was a different issue. Wasn't a talent problem. Wasn't a proven coach problem. It was a scheme problem. It was running two routes. Yes, sir, it was, Will. Don't you know it. Les Miles still thought in the year 2015 that LSU was going to line up and push Bama around and Leonard Fournette was going to run for 150 yards and some 21-14 to 14 win. And then he had 19 carries for 31 yards, and a lot of lives changed that day. Lots. Sorry, Will. I was at the SDS office for that game.
1: That was horrible.
0: Yes, like I said, a lot of lives changed that day. Yeah. Scheme is why Jimbo Fisher doesn't really present the threat to Bama yet. And yes, I totally understand. He beat them in 2021. They they were basically a competent goal line play call away from joining the exclusive repeat Bama victories club. But that would have turned a five and seven team into a six and six team. And last year, AM beat Bama and still didn't even have a winning record in SEC play, despite the fact that it had a top five defense in the country. Will scheme be the difference now with Bobby Petrino? They hope because otherwise it won't do them a whole lot of good to have a coach with a proven track record and top five talent. You have to check all three boxes. AM and 10 years ago, they were supposed to be a threat to Bama. Right after they joined the SEC. All right, A&M's coming. Look at this. Kevin Sumlin had Johnny Manziel. He also had Kyler Murray and Kyle Kyle Allen locked and loaded. Man, that quarterback room, they're gonna be just winning Heisman left and right. It's gonna be essentially what Oklahoma became in the late 2010s. Like that's that's what we were thinking AM was capable of doing. It was gonna be a quarterback factory with the way that they were starting to recruit with the top five class in 2014. This was going to have the makings of Bama's biggest West threat yet. Because you've now got to recruit in the state of Texas. And that's the thing that A&M has that's a little bit unique that we haven't necessarily had to see with the SEC West. And then what happened? Turns out Kevin Sumlin eh, without Cliff Kingsbury, he's kind of mad. He's kind of mad. Coach without a proven track record, horribly mismanaged Johnny Manziel that offseason. And if you don't believe me, please go back and read that Wright Thompson story. It's unbelievable. It's one of the best pieces of journalism you will ever read. And everything that you could have read that day gave you the warning sign of, oh boy, this someone thing, yikes. He completely botched the handling of, of Kyler Murray, Kyle Allen, which somehow led to both of those guys transferring from College Station, which in the pre-Portal era is just a mind-blowing thought. To think you could lose two five-star recruits at
1: quarterback just like that. Like sitting out. Like Kyler Murray was like, I'm going to go play baseball. I don't want to play for you so bad. <laughs> Unbelievable <laughs> sequence of events,
0: the way that that all played out. AM after that, they didn't sign another top five class for another five years. So like they had that top five class 2014 and it took Jimbo Fisher coming in in 2019. That's when they got their, their their next top five class. It's a pretty similar issue with Auburn under Gus Malzahn. Awesome. You beat Saban in year one. Everybody remembers kick six, but a coach who really didn't have a proven track record, didn't have the recruiting chops to start signing top five classes because we assume that beating Saban in year one, right in that home stretch of the recruiting cycle is going to lead to all this momentum, we get ahead of our skis. We do. In reality, that is so much tougher than we realize. Kevin Sumlin, Gus Malzahn get the year one wins against Saban. They're winning national awards, coach of the year, extend them. This is going to be the game changer. They're the new threats to Bama. How many top five classes did they sign after that first year at their respective jobs? We can combine them. How many of you think that they signed? Well, Oh.
1: Huh. Gus is always in the top ten, man. Was he in the like the six to ten range? Because I was, I think Gus was a pretty good recruiter. I mean, you just got John Walker at UCF. Like, I think Gus is a good recruiter now. But if he, if we're talking six to ten, uh, yeah, I guess they combined for about three. Let's say, pretty good recruiter doesn't threaten Saban. Yeah, you're right. Elite recruiter
0: threatens Saban. Yeah. They had to combine one top five class after that. And it was the class that I was just talking about 2014 that AM mm-hmm. had miles Garrett, I believe was the headliner of that class for yeah. the Aggies. But other than that, no, it just didn't happen. In hindsight, that was never going to cut it. Of course, we don't know these things at the time, but now we know what it takes to cut it. We have Georgia to thank for that. All Kirby has done is signed seven consecutive top five classes He had the talent to win in 2017 and 2018. Let's not get that twisted. He had the talent to beat those Bama teams. Did they have the right scheme? Eh, Not to sustain that success, but they still could have won those games. What did they not have at the time? Coach with a proven track record. Kirby was in year two in 2017, easy to forget, and then year three when he had the whole fake punt thing with Justin Fields in the SEC championship. Think about that. In those early years, the biggest knock on Kirby was, man, this guy is way overthinking this. He's making all these in-game decisions that are costing his team at these key moments. It wasn't that long ago that we were saying that. I mean, we were saying that last year with the and Bennett thing in the SEC championship, and you got to switch to JT Daniels. And by the time that he finally beat Bama, he had it all. He checked all three boxes. He was in the midst of his fifth consecutive top seven finish. I'd say that's a coach with a proven track record. He had the talent he had finally made the scheme change that was needed to make Bama defend the entire field as well. And that is such a key part of this Kirby got over the hump because he checked all those boxes. And now you cannot argue about his track record of making these defining decisions because he has shown us that he can get in these moments and he can be that guy. Unfortunately though, we're not guaranteed to see Bama and Georgia on a yearly basis, and barring some weird scenario in which the SEC decides you're going to be in pods together and you're going to face each other every year, which it's not uh, too late, cowards, <laughs> put us it, in a pod.
1: It ain't happening. That's not happening. Don't hold your breath on that one. Um, I want so badly for like the A and M, LSU, like Texas, Oklahoma pod, pod of- or like that. <laughs> like just don't ever play back. <laughs> what are they calling the World Cup? Group of death yep 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 there would be like a like a mississippi plus alabama pod that's just like all right y'all have fun over there anyway there's
0: there's a cake pod as well that's just got the four (laughs) worst teams it's it's vandy it's mizzou uh plus oh no we're gonna upset too many people if we say we say everybody's in the cake pod kirby was in this spot and it took him a while to get there It, it did but he's he's there unfortunately though like not getting to see this on an annual basis, we're not always going to feel like Kirby is threatening Bama because if there's a year like there was this past year where they don't face each other, it's like, okay, well, we didn't really answer that question. They could have been on the same level. I guess some would say, but whatever LSU Bama, on the other hand, we might get to see on a yearly basis moving forward again, depending on what the new scheduling format is. That's really interesting because I think LSU under Brian Kelly has already shown that it is capable of checking all three boxes. I do. I really do. If you don't think Kelly is a coach with a proven track record, you missed the part where the guy had eight seasons of double-digit wins prior to showing up at LSU. And then what did he do upon arriving at the toughest division in college football? He won 10 games. Brian Kelly's a good coach. We We can move past that notion, anybody that's hating on that.
1: The The haters and losers were wrong again.
0: Brian Kelly can't actually coach football. (laughs) Crazy thought. And of course, with Kelly, he comes in. and Everybody's wondering, is it going to be a regional fit? Is he going to be able to get that talent that you need at LSU? Yeah, about that. Signed the number seven class last year and the number three portal class last year. In his first full cycle, he just closed with the number four class. He currently has the number one transfer portal class talent acquisition will not be the thing that holds Brian Kelly's version of LSU back it just won't it's never really been an issue for LSU who is responsible for 7 of the 11 SEC West non-Bama classes that have finished in the top 5 in the last 10 years it's pretty amazing to think about i mean you would think all the the, the different the, the the different teams in the SEC West would would combine for more just recruiting dominance. We really haven't seen that at that truly elite level. And why did I pick 2012? You ask? Because that was when the entire world realized without any doubt yes, Bama's a dynasty. People yeah. want to debate. This is it two titles? This is it three titles? No debate after you win that third one, three and four years. That is a dynasty by any stretch of the imagination. It's why it's been so incredibly difficult for anyone to truly be a threat because for most Power Five programs, you're just hoping you can confidently check off one of those those Bama boxes. If you're really good, really good, you check off two. And if you check off three, you're Georgia. You're Georgia right now. That's it. I think this conversation about threatening Bama has evolved. It's going to continue to evolve in the expanded playoff. LSU could beat bama in three consecutive years win the west all of those years and still be like crap we're all in the playoff together and that didn't mean what we hoped it would that's coming and we're gonna have to kind of adjust the way that we talk about this because as lsu fans know man you gotta kill them in the regular season you just do You can't give them any sort of hope. You got to blow them out. You got to make sure that it looks so bad and you have owned them in such a significant way that there's no way that the boogeyman can come back and sneak out from under the bed. That's consecutive podcasts in which I have
1: referenced the boogeyman the boogeyman is back yeah i uh, i it's funny cuz you were like whenever you thought you know bam became a dynasty and i was thinking to myself when did i thought when did i realize bam was a dynasty i was like it was 2012 that was like yeah like early january 2012 Yeah, it was a very specific day where i realized
0: that. yep i th- i don't think you're alone and, and that would have still been on the early side because at the right. time you know that's still second title it's second title in 3 years but there was no doubt whatsoever after 2012 and being a threat is not turtling every time you're in Tuscaloosa. So that's why Auburn, I wouldn't consider a threat because if you can't go into Tuscaloosa and stay within single digits, unless Cam Newton puts on his cape and leads one of the most epic comebacks and one of the most epic seasons ever, I don't think you can call yourself a true threat. We realize how bad Auburn has been in Tuscaloosa basically for the last 15 years. It's been bad, like really bad. Nonetheless, that's what I mean by that. But I do believe that LSU under Kelly has a chance to be that threat. Bama hasn't missed out on consecutive division titles since LSU had that two-year winning streak against the Tide 2010-2011. And of course, 2011, you know, you understand what happened after that. Will this run under Kelly be different? And can he truly be the West threat that we really have not seen in these 15 years, with a team that can truly check all three boxes that faces Alabama on an annual basis, I think I'm buying it.
1: I think I'm buying that. Are
0: those famous last
1: words, Will? Man, you're trying to sell me LSU. Last pod, you let me be a hater, and now you're selling me LSU, Hopium. <laughs> Pretty soon, I'm going to be whiffing out Google Docs if we keep it out. Uh, yeah i don't know. i mean you know like i've just gotten to a point i joke about it a lot of here where i'm just like it is the boogeyman it's like it's like uh what's the one that you turn off the lights is it, what's the one where you're like you can't say his name it's like Beetlejuice. That, that's Beetlejuice. A, Beetlejuice, also but there's like an urban legend where you can't say his name but yeah so it's like that's how i would say where it's like ah I just pretend it doesn't exist not <laughs> it's like some type of like something Mary. i don't know There was like all kinds of movies anyway so point being like like I've tried to just not acknowledge it. um, and, and, you know, it's interesting when you talk about like the difference between elite recruiters and really good recruiters, because you, you kind of blew my mind there. You saw me like kind of clicking around, because in my mind, my recollection was Gus was kind of right there. But he was like six to 12 every year. It was like, uh, like not one, not two, not three, but like six. And when they was one, two, three every year, like four or three is a bad year for them. Yeah. And with Brian Kelly, you know, when you do the composite thing, you know, the difference between one and five is not the same as the difference between, or one and four, you know, with the transfer uh, class and everything, is not the same as one and seven or one and eight, because there's this huge now, like, talent has started to gravitate more towards, like, three schools every year, and one of those schools is always Bama, one of those schools is always Georgia, and then it's just, like, picker, is it Ohio State, is it A&M, is it Miami, like, whoever that happens to be that year that is selling the Hopium and kids are buying it. Never works out. It's just outside of those two teams. Like Ohio State, you know, maybe in the early like when Urban was there, maybe you could buy some hopium and you know, whatever. But anyway, so point being, like, I I I agree with it. And I think that like we said we be careful about saying I agree with it. I think that they are the second best position team in America. I think Georgia is number one. I think that Georgia is I think Georgia's seen it, you know. But in the West, that's the thing about Georgia. And I've said this before with Georgia like, you don't really realize how lucky everyone that's not in the SEC West is. Because if you have a year like 2020, you still have to play Bama. You don't get to see them in a championship. Whereas like when LSU saw Georgia last year, they, they got rolled. They obviously got rolled, but that was still a 10-win team. That wasn't a 70-point game. That game in 2020, I turned that off after the first quarter. I was like, I know where this is about to go. This is about to be bad. It's no point being like as a direct foil for Bama, it's so hard to win in the SEC West. And it's so much harder to sell me any other than, you know, Bama, LSU, maybe Auburn with you Freeze, maybe, maybe anybody outside of that though, as long as Saban is there, I think that they're all fighting for scraps. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think so too. But the the interesting thing is, it, divisions change in in a year or two years. Yeah, they then, do. Yeah. Then all of a sudden we're we're talking about. Okay, a, a new group that is going to have to deal with this reality, and it is still reality. I know, I know, we like to have our fun and say the dynasty's dead, all these different things. Man, it, if if you're writing this team off at, at this point, I I think you've got another thing coming.
1: I, I really do. Well, no, good, good point. With the, so it's it's divisionless and it's just the top two teams, right? That's going to be that's it's assumed that that's going to be the formula that it hasn't been settled on exactly.
0: Right. Okay, we're doing 14 pods. What's it gonna look like here? But what they are seemingly getting away from is two eight team divisions in which the teams in the divisions don't face like with the eight game mm-hmm. conference schedule and they don't face each other, you know, what they face each other once every eight years. Like that's that's the model that they're they're
1: getting away from. Essentially. So so let's say they do that, right. And keep it divisionless. Well, you're in the exact same situation because you have Alabama and Georgia. And if you're going to overtake the second one of those, you need to beat them. Obviously, you know what I'm saying? Like, because if you were to get Georgia and Florida in, well, Bama would need to have a horrible year. You know what I'm saying? So for the, for the way the sec's divisions are set up, is actually kind of perfect. Like, you know, especially Georgia, Florida, Uh, Kentucky and now Tennessee, you know what I'm saying? Tennessee is kind of right there too. So it's like, I really don't think it's going to change too much because even if there's a great LSU team, they would need to basically win a de facto division title with Bama because Georgia is still sitting there. It would be very hard for LSU and Bama to make the SEC title game. You see what I'm saying? We're going to have to add postseason caveats
0: with this because there's now going to be more of a chance for Bama to face another SEC team in the postseason which I think is also super interesting. And it creates a different set of circumstances of having to beat Bama when you give Nick Saban three weeks to prepare or however long it's going to be with the expanded playoff. And so we won't just necessarily always be looking at, oh, well, you know, You beat them that one time, that one year, and then, you know, you didn't have to face them for another four years or something like that. So did you really threaten them? Did you really take what's what's there, so to speak? Like 2019 is the perfect example of a team taking what Bama wanted. You had your 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 generational quarterback into a LSU comes back and goes into Tuscaloosa and prevents Bama from being able to play for a division title the going into the Iron Bowl they weren't even going to be able to get to the College ball playoff probably with the way that it was set up and the lack of quality wins that they had and that is truly blocking Bama from a championship like Auburn mm-hmm. has been able to do that here and there but like that's that's what i mean by by saying like truly prevent them from getting to their ultimate destination it's a very difficult thing to do and that's why they've been able to play in as many national championships as they have nine under Nick Saban to get
1: to. Well, that you're right point. too, because even like how many fan bases, true? Because you're right, you know, Ole Miss and A and M, right? Or sorry, what were the what were the two that had? Oh, LSU. Sorry. So if you look at my point, though, it was Ole Miss and A and M, right? People always talk about these Ole Miss wins and the A and M win. They didn't win their division. Guess who won their division? Right, Bama. So right. it's like it's like yeah, you could talk about those two wins in a row. Yeah, you could talk about your win with Johnny Manziel. And that's awesome, and you will have talking trash ability. But it's like, even though two season last year, it's like, well, did you win the Natty? No. So you didn't really beat Bama because even though you beat them you, and they kept them out of the playoff. And I think that is a big deal. And like, obviously I think sure. seeing how some of these teams in the playoff late, I don't know how that would have gone. Probably pretty good for Bama, but, Point being, you know, as a Bama fan, you'd be like, all right, cool. So you beat us. Even if you represented the West, it, it, you didn't get anywhere with it. So that's like, I, I love this framing because it's so Bama's objectives are way up here and they can still get there unless, you know, you do a certain amount of things. So you could be a team that sneaks up and bites them, but they could just keep on trucking and use that as a rat poison. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy to think. I don't think Bama would have missed the playoff in any year
0: since 2008. Because even twenty ten, I think they still would have gotten there at nine and three. So I'd have to go back and look that up. But think Wait, about there was that.
1: No, there was no playoff at nine.
0: No, I'm saying like the expanded play. Like what the 12 oh, team is. if you I added, sure added an expanded playoff. Okay, yes. got you. Yeah. If if you could retroactively put a twelve team playoff in that twenty ten season, which is considered right. like the worst since Bama has become Bama, they still probably would have made the playoff that year. And it's like yeah. you had three teams that got him in the SEC in the regular season. It just like kind of didn't matter, but. That's the new world that we're going to be living in. So it'll be interesting to see how how this translates and how if if there is any sort of West threat moving forward, um, with that West threat being LSU.
1: Let me let me ask you about a couple. So it looked like Dabo had it for a while. I think we're kinda aligned on that might have a ship might have sailed. Yeah, ship sailed because he stopped signing top five talent. And That's... he lost both of his Well, he lost the good coordinator and the bad coordinator and somehow got worse. <laughs> it's... I like the Garrett Riley move. I do. Yeah. No, no, no. That's actually true. That's honestly probably the best hire he's made since Venables. So, like, yeah, that, that's a really good point. That might actually help him. But, yeah, he's not recruiting the Trevor Lawrences and, like, those type of guys because he's always had, you know, stable court and uh, DJU is a little bit of a dud. So, we'll, we'll see. And he has the guy now. I know. Uh, is it Clubnick that's over Barbnick,
0: there? Clubnik, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, which is a five-star guy. But, yeah, when you line up and try to play Spanish football, football the other one, uh, Ryan Day. <laughs> I have to ask.
0: Is Ryan Day still talking about Marvin Harrison or is or is that <laughs> what are you doing? He didn't even get asked about that.
1: By the way, I have some more things to say about Marvin. Nobody asked you, dude. We know you love. Ryan Day, man. Goodness gracious. So he's so you're are you like like just really I know this is like, but do you is has that totally moved you off of Ryan Day? Do you think you know Ryan Day's young? Do you think he's never gonna get it?
0: No, I think it's I think there's some early Kirby stuff. I do. I think there's I, I think there are some similarities there. The difference <laughs> is that Kirby Kirby elevated Georgia instantly. And yeah, he really the talent did. level went from really solid, really solid recruiter, just like yeah. we talked about with Gus. And then it shifted into overdrive. And it was and it stayed in overdrive. Ohio State signed the only five-star recruit in the Big Ten this cycle. Can, can we think about how much? that continues to separate year after year after year. That's the part that, and I know I wanted on my Big Ten rant a couple weeks ago here, but that that's the part where if that doesn't change, yeah, I, I don't, ex- you can tell me that they've got a million future first-round receivers. There are still things like that that need to change. Ryan Day is, is interesting, but I still think he needs to look inward. He's not, he, I wouldn't say he is a proven coach. I wouldn't say that at this point yet. It's also not going to see Alabama on an annual basis. So we're not going to yeah. have that true side by side. So it's a little bit difficult, but yeah, I probably wouldn't be willing to, to put him on that level again.
1: Yeah. And that's that's the whole conversation. So you would say that, you know, Brian Kelly is closer than either of those. So Kirby is, again, can't stress it enough, George Pitts. Kirby is already there. We do, we're we not yeah. erasing yeah. him, but he's probably number one. You're saying Kelly's number two because we'll see each other a lot, prevent them from their ultimate goal. And with those guys, you know, they could be bad for a year or two and just never see Saban. I, I, I see the vision. Okay. And they'll still continue to recruit top five
0: classes they're still going to be bringing in five-star recruits. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. never going to worry about that. And I guess I'm never, it's not really a talent issue with, with Ohio State. So I, that might've come off that way, but mm-hmm. Ryan Day, I would not consider to be a proven coach. Despite the fact that I thought he coached a great game against Georgia. I thought he coached a really, really good game. Obviously some questionable decisions late with the way that they ran the football and all that stuff too. But yeah, he's got a little bit of early Kirby and maybe three years from now, the
1: conversation will be different. This is, this is, a, this is a bad one, but I got to ask it. Is there a path? For Josh Heupel, it's a good question.
0: He's still not recruiting at the truly elite level. Mm-hmm. They've recruited. They have recruited better. I think that his evaluation in the transfer portal has been a huge asset for him. Mm-hmm. I think that part is is big, and it can make up some of that gap. It really can, which is all the more frustrating why Tabo resisted it for so long, yep. but. I'm, I'm definitely not willing to, to get to that place with somebody who's two years in who coached a great game against Alabama, coached a truly, truly great game. I'm still several years away from being willing to say that that is a true threat. And because, again, you need to stack these top five classes. You need to be doing that. We know the scheme is great. We do. But that that to me is is something that would be holding him back from being at that level. And it's not to said that he can't win a ton of games, score a ton of points, five consecutive top eight offenses. We
1: know that Josh Leifle is going to do that, but no, I'm the, the, the bar is high, man. The bar is high. <laughs> So when well, you got to recruit defense, we've talked about that with Hybel too, but Hybel could win next year. But if he's still in that, you know, 15, 10 range of recruiting, it's like, that's less of a threat if than if he loses next year and then signs a top two class, you know what I'm yes. saying? Because all he is, is like a full defensive roster. Away from judging.
0: Yeah. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't get excited about signing this, you know, five-star recruit like, you know, South Carolina's day that they had on Wednesday, have... like celebrate that stuff. For that, sure. Yeah. Those, those are victories. We're not sitting here comparing South Carolina to Alabama. That's not the conversation South Carolina Clemson, a little bit more interesting these days, much more interesting these days, but that's why I think can like fan bases can get a little bit like, Oh, this, this is going to be the guy to push us over the top. It's like, it's never one guy. It's never one guy. It's never two guys. It's, it takes so much more than that to win at this level. And Georgia has been the embodiment of this. And now we have this model. We see the boxes that need to be checked. Go out and do it. It's not even, oh, you need to have a future first-round quarterback. We've seen anybody from the number one overall pick and Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow all the way down to Mr. Irrelevant, Swag Kelly. All those guys and everything in between we've seen have success against Bama. That's why I brought up scheme. And It's not just, oh, you need to have future you know franchise quarterback in the NFL. No, nope, that's not it. That's not it. Way more I will say scheme. it
1: can be one guy if you can just simply clone cam newton if you figure that one out you
0: might just need one guy anyway great point well great point well in the meantime auburn's gonna have a little bit more work to do probably not gonna be able to, to clone him anytime soon okay uh before we kick it to aaron murray quick word from our friends at underdog as we talk about each and every podcast sports betting not legal. I know states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, most of the SEC states. I want to talk to you about underdog fantasy. You might have tried daily fantasy in the past, but underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now, and they have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement right now with underdog. Go to Saturdaydownsouth.com/underdog. You can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in fifty bucks, they'll throw in fifty more dollars. It is a great way to get some money to play on these contests every week you can pick higher or lower for different players very similar to sports betting player props you can put real money on the line legal and live in all those sec states alabama georgia florida texas etc i got a couple more for the super bowl our dogs great being able to get these out way like had these out the monday like right after conference championship weekend i got two more for you both sec guys i'm going over 72 and a half receiving yards for aj brown i think he has a Big big day in the Super Bowl, but I will go under five and a half receptions for Devontae Smith. And you, know, I think I've been, I think I've been as pro Devontae as, as anybody. I'd like to say, even though we've gotten into the Devontae versus Jamar thing before, and I'm like, oh, I still think Devontae is going to be a really good receiver. End up having a thousand yards, thousand yards season yeah. with the Eagles. Um, but yeah, I'll go under on the receptions
1: for that. I think Kansas City is going to have a good game plan um and i think that's the rare one where you're both kind of right because it was like yeah chase is like a top 2 or 3 receiver and smith is like top 10 15 which is like a great receiver like anyone would love him and he's very good so yeah but to your point AJ Brown's the guy. You know what I'm saying? AJ Brown's that dude. Yeah, he is that dude. Underdog is awesome. Super fun to
0: do while you're watching football or any other sport in your living room. Get on some college basketball. Dude. Go to some college basketball. Very interesting. You can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. and get $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. All right, let's kick it to Aaron Murray. Not excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Aaron Murray. Aaron, let's start with your championship hangover. How long did your hangover last after last year's title? And Well, at least compare the two championship hangovers. And by championship hangover, I mean literally just your actual hangover yeah. of winning it for the first time in 41 years as a Georgia fan, and then when you repeat
2: well, the first go-around was a lot more difficult to get over when it comes to just the, the the physical, mental, everything, dealing with the hangover. I mean, we partied pretty hard for about two weeks. Myself, uh, I remember my wife, like it was, you know, after the game, I, I may have been up till eight o'clock in the morning, like just had that adrenaline. I went to the game, so I was in Indianapolis and man, it was hard to calm down. It was a party all night long. Uh, and then heading into the next weekend for the parade, we even went to Athens for the parade and Friday night, and we're you know we're old, we can't hang with the college kids anymore. But you know we tried as best we could, and my wife missed about three fourths of the parade. She was so you know feeling herself a little bit too much, and I couldn't unfortunately. I had to cover the parade, and I'm walking around with like a PD light the entire time. So uh, we we partied pretty hard. We enjoyed it. It was a hell of a celebration, and uh this time it took it a little bit easier. Uh, didn't go out to LA. A little bit you know more difficult when you have two kids. Uh Hard to tell the wife that I'm going to go to LA for. Three days with a bunch of boys while she's stuck at home with a, uh, you know, at the time, seven week old and a two year old. So um, was was uh, we celebrated it. We watched the game, uh, went to a little party here in Atlanta, and then we ended up going to uh, to Athens to go watch the parade as well. So it was definitely still special. Don't be wrong. And it was packed and it was, you know, the 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 dog walking in the stadium was great, but. Yeah, the first one was on a whole other level, uh, as expected. Not saying like Georgia fans have gone to the point where like been there, done that mentality, but it's your first. It's always going to be your you know your favorite. Don't tell my daughter that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it'd be weird
0: if you were still doing the exact same thing I, I think if you were still getting after it that way because I saw you that night um the first one and I, I like before the the true celebration started and I can't remember one, one of your boys who was it was it John Staten who was yeah. uh he did the beer chuck like right after and you're and you and you like called me over you're like hey hey bring him over here because I was because I was on the field and then I remember bringing him over to you and I was like Oh, this is just going to be all night. Like, if you're a Georgia fan, you mm-hmm. are just chugging beers all night. This is the way that that it goes. And obviously, with Stetson, it's it's the pappy. But, um, yeah, it's just when you're winning sixty five to seven, it's like, all right, you can't just flip that switch. You can't recreate it, and and it's not this this exhale. But I imagine for you being able to sit back and kind of understand, like, all right, this is everything you've waited for. Do you now feel like? This is something that you are already taking for granted, or are you so, as a Georgia fan, like at this place where you're just so appreciative of what it took to get here that you don't feel like you're taking this for granted and you can truly soak this in?
2: Well, let's not forget too, the first go around, uh, a big difference between this one and, and and that one was also beating Alabama. I mean that 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 was as much of a monkey on on Georgia's back as winning another national championship. I mean, this was something that we just couldn't seem to figure out how to do and and had so many opportunities to do it from, you know, when I was in school 2012 to the national championship game to the SEC championship game. It just seemed like, you know, we were always right there to knock them out and then something would happen. And then then all of a sudden the discussion is, you know, will we ever beat Alabama? And if we can't beat Alabama – then we're obviously we're not going to win a national championship because they're at the top of the top of the top. So I think to be able to do two things at once also kind of made it a little bit more special. But for me, I feel like we're still in the middle of, of the excitement. Like, I, I, you know, I've been telling people for, for a year now ever since they won the first national championship is like, hey, we're in the middle of this dynasty. And a lot of people are like, you're crazy. You can't say that. You need to win another one before we start saying that. It's now Georgia's, you know, run and then the Alabama dynasty is essentially over with. So I get that, but I, I just think that we're right in the middle of all this excitement as Georgia fans, where they're just still drinking the Kool-Aid they're enjoying the success. They're enjoying the attention. They're enjoying, you know, us now being the, the ones that everyone wants to take down. So I, I wouldn't say they've gotten to the point of being cocky, but they're pretty getting pretty close. Like I think you you have another successful season, whether it's win an SEC championship, make the playoffs, possibly win another national championship. I think at that point you may see some some really obnoxious Georgia fans. But I I don't I don't know maybe because I don't want to just call my fans out. But I don't think we've reached that level of, of being that obnoxious just yet. Hopefully not. But I don't know. Not, I know in the minds of other fans they're like hell yeah y'all are a bunch of a holes. <laughs> this
0: this that's a championship hangover is real uh as we found out and, and i know this type of thing is if you're pro stats and you will just chalk it up to well you know this this guy is just taking some well-deserved time away no big deal baker mayfield he had his whole thing that happened you know bef- before his his senior year and he still goes number one overall my issue with the way that this played out with Stetson getting arrested in Dallas, the, the optics are terrible. It's absolutely terrible. You're considering going to the senior bowl where you would have been able to meet with every single team. Mm-hmm. And on the day that you would have been reporting, like you, you're, you get a drunken disorderly. Am I overreacting by thinking that this is a really, really bad look for somebody who really does not have a whole lot of margin for error at the next level.
2: No, I'm with you. Like, There was, there was, and I've talked to some agents about it and some agents presented some, some opportunities for him of like, okay, if you don't want to play in the senior bowl, this is a kind of a narrative that we could play. You know, one it's, Hey, I played more games than anyone else the past two years. I just want to back, you know, my second national championship. My body's kind of a little bit sore. I need some time off. I just want to get the training. Like that's fine. Um, I just lost a brother. You know we all you know know the tragedy that occurred right after the parade. I'm still mourning the loss of a, of a teammate. Like all that is is easily understandable and and kind of like, okay, that's fine. Like you do you 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 mentally and physically get right. But like you said, like the fact that that instead of one hundred percent focus on getting ready for the combine or or your pro day or the NFL draft, you you were out drinking until six o'clock in the morning. Instead of like you said, being at the Senior Bowl, so 100 that's 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 an issue, and you know when you're not a when you're not a first round quarterback or maybe even a second round quarterback, like if you're not going to get a legitimate chance to be a starting quarterback, so like getting all the you know getting adequate reps and 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 OTAs and fall camp and preseason, you can't be a distraction. You can't be. The coaching staff and GM don't want to worry about their backup quarterback being in the news. Like, I mean, that's that's yeah, that hurt Tebow. You know, T, teams knew Tebow wherever Tebow went, it was it was going to be somewhat of a circus. Like the news intention was going to be on Tim Tebow's on our football team, and I just. Coaches don't want that. They want the attention on their starting quarterback. This is our guy. Let's give him all the love, uh, you know, and, and 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 reps and everything that he needs to do. So there is a role you have to play as a backup quarterback. And like I said, part of that role is kind of being in the shadows. And for Stetson, the last thing you want to do is be making noise off the field uh, because of the position you're in and where you're going to get drafted. So, so, yeah, it does bring up some questions, and he's going to get asked those questions on every single meeting going forward. I don't think it's – it's not the end of the world. Like, listen, he didn't get a DUI. He didn't hit anyone. Um, it was a, a a I would say more of a slap on the hand kind of incident, but it, it does raise some questions and, and it does. It, it's a distraction. Instead of talking about sets Bennett winning a Nella national championship, all of a sudden I guarantee the first 10 minutes of every meeting, the coaches are going to ask him. We, we saw the film of the parade. We saw the interactions with media and the arrest those are the first three things they're going to ask because they want to know about your character more than just as much as they wanted to care about what you did on the field. So instead of talking about, you know, your 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 attributes, your throwing, your athleticism, your ability to run a, a pro style system with Todd Munkin, the first 10 to 20 minutes of every meeting, he's going to have to explain himself why he acted the way he acted for the first two weeks after winning a national championship. It's a waste of time. And, and unfortunately for him, it's it's like I said, it's a distraction in those meetings
0: it's not the same but there's there are some similarities to the Jake Fromm stuff that came out before he got drafted and the the yeah. old tweet and it's like yeah this isn't the end of the world this isn't necessarily okay you it's not that you all of a sudden can't be an nfl quarterback it's when you're going to be a backup and you know that going in like you just don't have this leeway and those are the mistakes that you obviously don't want to have come out right at this very critical juncture uh in your career you were hurt going into the senior bowl but you still went how how beneficial was that for you and why could that help someone uh the way that like Hendon Hooker is trying to do right now
2: yeah well i love that Hendon's there and and you're getting nothing but Man, everything I keep reading is—is is he's just uh, excelling when it comes to the mental side of the game, being around these coaches and being there at the Senior Bowl, and that's—that's that's, you know—that's why I went too, man. Like it's—it's because they've seen a lot of tape. Like these coaches know at the end of the day, like can this kid play? Can he not? And and yeah, they want to maybe put you in these situations and see you at the combine and see you at the pro day and see you live and see what you've kind of improved on since since you left college. But there is enough tape out there on and Hooker. There's enough tape out there on and Bennett. To kind of get a real feel of does this kid fit what I'm trying to do as as a as a as an NFL you know uh, franchise GM coach whatever it may be so but to get into those rooms to get on the board to go over plays to go over concepts to break down defenses to kind of see how the mind works that's that's beneficial so you know for me that's why I went I always felt like that was my strong suit anyways like I'm not gonna impress anyone throwing the football I'm I'm six foot maybe six one on a good day. If I do some stretching, uh, I got good arm strength, not great arm strength, but where I felt like I separated was my football IQ, my intelligence. There, like I could break down plays, I understood how the plays worked for different defenses. That was where I tried to excel, and that was a great opportunities for me at the Senior Bowl, at the Combine, to go kind of show that off a little bit. So uh, I know for Hendon, I-, I love Hendon. I think Hendon's great. I mean, I, I- and-, and I know people keep saying, "Well, he's a system quarterback." I don't, I don't think so. Like he's he's different. From previous quarterbacks who've played in these air raid systems that needed the air rate system to be good. Hendon doesn't need the, the air raid system to be good. He it, it he could fit anywhere. He's 6'4, 220. He's big, he's physical, great arm strength, can throw the deep ball, uh, athletic, high football IQ, great leadership. Guys on the team love him, guys on the team respect him. I mean, he checks off almost every box you want. I think there's gonna be a team that gets a a, a hell of a quarterback, whether it's late in the first round early second round that you know if he's healthy which i anticipate he's going to be healthy enough to compete you know could find his way competing for a possibly starting job in year one
0: where are you at with will levis and anthony richardson are they worth a top 10 pick
2: definitely not anthony definitely not anthony i i i don't i don't i wouldn't take will i get the fascination with will uh he he does look good he does throw a great ball um you know, maybe didn't have the talent around him. I mean, you can make every excuse under the sun to, for Will Levis to be a top ten pick. I don't like the decision making. I don't like the accuracy at times. Uh, I wouldn't. I, I I wouldn't. I mean, I, I honestly I don't love the draft class in general. Um, you know i I would prefer I, I would prefer to take Hendon at the end of the first round than I would Will Levis in the top ten pick um, or early second round. That's that's kind of where I would I would not waste that capital on that quarterback in the top ten, but um if i had to choose one or the other i definitely would choose will i think anthony's a project i do i think anthony is 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 three years down the road um i think he would have benefited from coming back for not only one year but two years at florida he just needs to play football man like at the end of the day you're not going to get he's not going to get better sitting on the bench for one or two years as a backup quarterback Great. and he's for sure not going to get better being thrust into a starting position, which if you're drafted in the top 10, that's kind of what the expectations will be in his first year there in the NFL. So, um, or even second year. I, I think he's that raw. I think he has hell of potential. I love everything he's got, but if you go into year one or year two and you don't have success, what's the narrative going to be? I mean, look at San Francisco, for goodness sakes. I mean, they they, they drafted a, a top, what, five quarterback. He gets hurt, wasn't successful. Brock Purdy comes in, he has success. Then what's the narrative? Oh, we shouldn't have drafted him. He doesn't fit our system. It, does he not fit your system, or was he just not ready to play in the NFL? And did you put him in a bad spot? Like that's that's the worry for me with Anthony Richardson. So, man, I I know we we hyped the quarterback spot up, Connor. But like, I kind of feel like it's going to be like last year, where like all these mock drafts had these guys going so early. And all of a sudden, they just start slipping and slipping and slipping. I mean, for three months, we had Malik going, what, top 10, first quarterback taken? And where'd he drop? What, third round, I think, somewhere like that? Like, I I would not be surprised if we have a similar year um, as we did last year, especially when you look at that draft class and how unsuccessful they were. Most of them were in their first season in the NFL.
0: With those two guys being gone, you've also got Stetson gone, obviously, Hooker, Bryce Young it's kind of a little bit of a changing of the guard quarterback in the sec mm-hmm. who would be your best returning quarterback in the sec
2: ah uh, i like kj i really do i like kj jefferson i think kj yeah i made the comparison last year he reminds me a lot of jalen hurts coming out and and jalen took a big jump when it came to throwing the football when he moved from you know alabama to oklahoma and he's continued to improve and i think you know, something that makes Jalen even more special is just his leadership style. And, and, and I think KJ is a great leadership. I just think, you know, he's just Jalen's at a different level. I mean, he is like the ultimate leader. And there's a reason why he'll be going for a Super Bowl here in about a week. So, but when you come to talk about measurables and, and athletic ability, you know, KJ's bigger. bigger. Um, I think he's just as good as a runner. I think he can throw the ball just as well. Um, he's been accurate in his career. I kind of want to continue to see him improve, especially with the intermediate, intermediate stuff. But I I think another year playing college football could be really good for him. So I kind of like, to me, that's my comp for him. Can he be Jalen? I think he can. I think he could be a bigger version of what Jalen is and Jalen's playing for the Super Bowl. So I think that's going to excite a lot of um, you know, NFL GMs and scouts. You know, he would be my one. Um, and then Jaden Daniels that too. I think Jaden with what they have coming back, the two tackles, the receivers, year two in the system, the way he got better last year as a passer. We know how how athletic he is. That would kind of be my one, two right now in the sec heading into next season.
0: I was holding out hope that you were going to say Carson back. I was, I was ready for it. I was going to make you re-answer.
2: You know, what's weird is like you look at Vegas odds. and A lot of people have Brock Vandergriff as a higher odds to win the Heisman than they do Carson. And I'm, I love Brock. I, I actually interviewed Brock that day. And he's a great kid. All of them are great kids, but I just look at the, the offense and what, what, you know, I'm thinking Todd's coming back and what the you know what they're building around him, it would be hard for me not to say that you can't put a quarterback with his abilities to throw the football. I think he can be. I think he could be a top five quarterback at the end of this year. He he to me, he's a more gifted thrower than the other two. I think he's sneaky, athletic. Like he's not going to be Stetson. Obviously, he's not Jaden. He's not KJ, but he may be the best thrower with the football in the conference next year. I mean, he's just, man, the dude can whip it. Um, I love the fact that he stayed. I think he's going to be special. I'm I'm really bullish on him and I know a lot of people in that building are too.
0: What's the sense you get about Brock Vandegraph? I know you just had you just had him uh doing some uh some players um doing some players launch stuff with you guys, but um what what about his future? Because I think everybody wants to break down this quarterback battle. And talk about Carson Beck and talk about what Gunnar Stockton can be. And, you know, they went all in on art. So this was going to always going to be the plan where they weren't going to have a quarterback in this class. So it's going to be a three-way battle, but like are they going to have all three of these guys going into the first week of the season? Is this going to be a battle that that you feel like Carson can lock down?
2: I think they're going to try to extend it because you don't want those guys to leave. From what I've heard though, like Brock loves Georgia. I mean, he's a, he's a Georgia kid. You know, went to I believe Athens Academy just outside Athens, or or Pete something Prince Prince Academy, which is just right there in Athens. Um, so he loves being there. He loves loves Georgia. And You can just feel that every time you're around him. So I think he wants to stay, and I do think that there is a a way to maybe even if Carson's a starter, incorporate him in the offense. You know, somewhat Chris Lee, Tim Tebow, freshman year style where. You know he's maybe he's not as big as Tebow, but he's a hell of a runner. He's physical. He's strong. You can find ways to get him in the game, get him involved to where you keep him on the roster. You know Gunner Gunner's going to be to me possibly the odd man out, but he's also the youngest. So like the question is how 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 urgent is for for in his mind is it for him to get on the football field? You know are we going to see a similar situation to what we just saw there at LSU where you know their young quarterback. You know, kind of saw maybe a better opportunity to sit for one more year at at Ole Miss and then, you know, maybe have an opportunity to start the next year. Um, because if he's three heading into this offseason, you still got two young quarterbacks that have multiple years left to play at Georgia. So Gunner is more the one I'm worried about, could possibly hit the portal there in the you know, kind of you know, after spring ball. But I don't know, man. Like I said, I think Brock loves being in Athens. I think they can find a way to get him involved. And, yeah, I would love for all three to stay. But in this world, man, I, I just think you'd be uh, kind of hoping and praying to think that three talented quarterbacks will be on your roster next year.
0: I was breaking this down. It's it's interesting. Um, with A&M going to to Bobby Petrino as a play caller, you let know, Drinkwitz bringing in a play caller. People forget Alex Golish was the one calling plays at Tennessee and Heupel was kind of in the yep. CEO-type role. We could have as many as 11 SEC starting quarterbacks who have new play callers that they're working with. I mean, and that includes like, that's if Todd Munkin, which as of this recording, we're assuming that he is coming back, but we'll, we'll wait and see on that. So that would leave, you know, LSU Vandy and Georgia as the only three teams in the sec who could have like you know a returning play caller you know with with their quarterback and i know every situation is different but how significant is that to if you're going to be the starting quarterback to, to have a new play caller that you're working with
2: it's pretty big uh it, obviously it helps if if, if the, the the plays are the same so if the core of the playbook is still there it's it's definitely beneficial but you know there is a bond i mean the, the way you work with that oc like i you know for me for example like every single year that I was with Bobo the level of the level of confidence that he had in me the comfort that he had in with me the communication just got better you know heading in the second third and fourth year essentially like I was call, helping call the plays and draft the script for the for that week like Bobo would say on Sunday like hey you know by sunday night monday morning i expect your top plays on my desk for what you want to run then on thursday I'm ranking the plays of hey, this is what I want to run this week. This is why I feel comfortable based on the film I watch. This is kind of more the stuff that I think we could have success with this week. And it was, it was a really good conversation. My freshman year was Aaron, here's the place, go, go run it. That was it. There wasn't that, that like I said, that level of communication that took time to build up that in that relationship. And that's that's a struggle. Like, where is that communication with the quarterback and now the play caller? Is it more of, hey kid, hear the plays, go call it? Uh, I kind of want to see you execute it before I kind of, you know, turn the playbook over to you. How how fast can you accelerate that that relationship? So yeah, there's going to be, you know, less flexibility, I would say, and 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 less on the quarterback's plate, more on the play caller's plate. But at the end of the day, talent wins, man. If you have a talented quarterback and a guy that knows what the hell he's doing, calling plays, you know, it's it's not the biggest deal in the world. I. I I think the best example of the other way, the way that I prefer is is, you know, kind of what you've seen with Lane Kiffin. You know, yeah. Lane's communication with his quarterback is is it's it's extremely fascinating. I mean, he treats them like pros. Um, I love it. You know, Matt Corral and him, the way they communicate in the sidelines, there is a reason why Matt Crow had so much success. You know, he was always telling Lane what he was seeing out there in the field, what he felt comfortable with, and 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 they would go out there and execute it.
0: The guys I think I'm most intrigued by in terms of SEC quarterbacks might actually be Will Rogers going to a new offense with Kevin Barbay is going to yep. run at Mississippi State, and then Robbie Ashford getting to work with Hugh Freeze. And the question, I talked about this with Cole Kubelik, like, like, can he maximize those tools and be like the second coming of what Malik Willis was working with Hugh Freeze at Liberty? How do you kind of read their situation? Because it's very different. Obviously, like Will Rogers might be a guy going from 50 attempts a game to 35, and then Ashford, you know, ideally you want him throwing the ball more than 15 times a game, but obviously the accuracy has to improve in order for that to happen. What's your your read on on those guys trying to transition into new offenses?
2: I I still think Auburn's going to have to take someone after spring. I do. Yeah. I, I I think he's going to kind of look at it as – let's give him as many reps and opportunities to be the starting quarterback. But if it doesn't look like we feel comfortable with him, because we know this is Auburn, like there's a level of expectation and you do not want to start off your, 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 your career. there as a head coach. Um, six and six are not making a bowl game. Like there is a, especially a guy that's been in this league. He understands expectations are high and they just fired the previous coach in less than two years. So, you know, there is a, Hey man, if my quarterback, if I don't think he's the guy, or he can't kick butt year one. I still think they're gonna tr- probably bring someone in after spring, unless he just dramatically improves as a passer. Uh, I just you can't be one dimensional. Malik was a great thrower. Malik has a great arm. Robbie does not. I, I just every now and then, but the ball doesn't come out smooth. He's not a natural passer. He's a hell of an athlete. He's a hell of a competitor. But I, I'm not buying him as 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 just being gifted the job. Come next fall, I do think that there is going to be some competition brought in. I think it's, I think it'd be good for him, and I think it'd be good for the football team to bring in someone else too to see if you can, you know, maybe get a uh, a guy that could do a little bit of everything. So that's my thoughts on on on, on kind of I'm Very fascinated to continue to watch that one. Um, Will Rogers, man, there is always been the narrative out there that you know he's benefited from from the, the system, the air raid of leach, the dink and dunk. But when you really go watch him, the Duke can fling it. Man, he he throws all the routes well. I mean, there's nothing, he's not gonna blow you away with his arm strength. He's not gonna, you know, split any fingers open down the field, but he can make everything you want from the daggers to the deep cross, the go balls, the posts, and he throws with great anticipation, with great timing, uh, puts the ball in a spot where his guys can catch it and run. So I, I'm really interested to see how he handles the the adjustment to a new system. Uh it was funny. I actually brought on um uh Rylan Goed, a tight end for Georgia who just transferred to Mississippi yeah. State. And it was funny. It's like, wow! Like they are now. They really are. I mean, they're they're going to change it up a little bit because they they probably haven't had a tight end on the roster in four or five years. Twenty nineteen. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's. I think it'll be good for him to, you know, be a part of a new offense, similar to like, um, uh, uh well, I'm drawing a blank. The kid that just transferred from Notre Dame to or from to Notre Dame from Wake Forest. Sam Hartman. Oh,
0: Sam
1: Hartman. Yeah. So,
2: yeah. If you do want to get to the NFL. I think it's good to 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 possibly show if you're not as talented as Hendon to show that you are a good quarterback because you're a good quarterback, not because of the system you're in. So a guy like Sam Hartman, I think, will benefit for going to Notre Dame, being in that more pro style system. Same thing for Will Rogers to kind of demonstrate that he can excel you know, outside of an air raid offense.
0: Last one for you. Have you studied 1936 Minnesota yet?
2: 1936 minnesota what aaron you gotta
0: know this you gotta know this it's the last team to three p oh
2: 1934
0: 1935 1936 the great ed witsa minnesota. minnesota
1: yeah
2: bernie
0: beerman running the wow. wing t i'm just saying these are the things that you gotta know you've been talking three-peat. i never knew
2: i never knew there was a three peat actually so i'm glad you said that i thought georgia would have the chance to be the first
0: Ah, I mean, like, eh, I guess in the AP poll era, they would technically be the first, yeah. but we recognize 1936 Minnesota on this podcast. That's what we do.
2: Nice. Uh, okay. Well, I guess they just got to go for a 4 fourpeat then. <laughs> they got to do it now. I, 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 I am a firm believer that it's going to get harder and harder to win championships when this thing expands to twelve-team playoff, and then obviously, you know, you add Oklahoma and Texas to the to the conference as well. More big time games, tougher schedule. Um I think they could do it though, man. They got so much damn talent coming back. It's just it's been a rocky past two weeks, so hopefully they've gotten through the worst of the off season and uh you know can get the spring ball and just focus in on football, but man, they got some talent. Like I, I don't know. You tell me like I think there's there's only two teams that I feel good about next year. It's Michigan and Georgia. Everyone else is I think major questions about what the what the roster is going to look like.
0: Michigan's had a worse two weeks in Georgia. I mean, yeah, I've had a
2: worse two weeks. That's yeah. bad. Like how,
0: how does Michigan have this bad of an off season already? Like coming, do, doing everything that Michigan fans had hoped that they would do to kick Ohio state in the teeth, to get to the college football playoff. And then to have two off seasons that are just weird. And you're like, yeah. what's going on like they this is when you should actually have continuity and they seem to have yeah. less of it than they've had at any time during this run so i don't even have confidence in in michigan like michigan has become the new oklahoma get to the playoff yeah. and then it's just like hey this is this is Ooh, the way
2: it's going i'm not hard. saying win it i'm just saying get to the playoff like i don't think michigan yeah. will win it like they, they they don't have the horses to do it they've the they they've shown the ability to kind of stump ohio state to get to the playoff but i think like, that's one thing jimbo is not jimbo um jim is is at hardball at any point like if he gets an offer he's going i don't know if that ship has sailed or not if if teams just don't want him, but like i think he's he's kind of reached the mountaintop of okay i could take him to the playoffs i just don't know if they're ever going to have the talent to necessarily win a national championship though
0: exactly yeah i agree with you there agree 100 well i'll let you get to it go study some 1936 minnesota and uh yeah we'll talk soon man
2: appreciate it how about this one
1: i call it bold and bright more like belongs in the trash
2: <laughs> sorry i must have missed that one
0: bold and brash we're talking sec quarterbacks in the nfl draft i thought aaron had some some bold sec quarterback takes for for the nfl draft uh that take that take he had about ending that's well, we'll see if somebody in the Saturday On South podcast Facebook group has something similar to that. I didn't want to repeat myself, but I've been thinking the exact thing that he said about Anthony Richardson and Will Levis slipping after months of both of those guys showing up in the top 10 in these mocks. That's my bold and brash prediction for these SEC quarterbacks. I think both go outside round one. I do. You said and Richardson and who? Richardson and Will Levis. I think both go Will outside. Levis? Yeah. Interesting. I am basing that off of how much I think we confuse NFL teams talking about their tools with, if they would actually be willing to draft them to be a franchise quarterback. Those are two different things. And, and I've, I've said the, the Michael Calabrese stat, um I think I've said it at least once on the, on this show, but the amount of guys who are kind of meh at the power five level, who went in the first round and then became good NFL quarterbacks. That list is basically just Ryan Tannehill. It's very, yeah. very small list. I wonder about about something like that, and part of that is because usually if you're kind of mad, you just end up slipping, and not a whole lot of guys they're they're taking a chance to you like the Daniel Jones cases, and he's kind of bordered bordering on whatever you know the difference between mad and like good legitimate franchise quarterback.
1: He's but, been like middle class for his whole career. It's so chaotic. He's like a, an NFL version of the quarterback. He
0: was. Yeah, he's a he's like he's the Coles quarterback. That, that's what he is. It
1: looks like a face of Coles. That's so perfect.
0: Because that's what it looks like he wears. I think he's they're, more of a Brooks Brothers guy. We'll give him a little bit more credit for that. They're he's paying
1: him in Coles Yeah.
0: Coles cash, man, back in the day. Oof.
1: Something. Yeah.
0: Goes a long way. Um, but yeah, I as I've also said though, to kind of I guess combat that I think there are more paths to becoming a respectable NFL starter than ever. So I'm not saying that Richardson or Levis can't become franchise quarterbacks. I just believe that the market for them might not be as hot as some are projecting. Do you, you think Levis goes in the top 10?
1: I like Levis a lot, man. And I think that when we, when we break down the, like the final four quarterbacks and kind of what you look for, Levis is a dude who has shown that he's adaptable. That's what I like about Levis. Now granted last year wasn't good because they had the worst offensive line in power five. And obviously we only, we, we all saw it. All right. But at the end of the day, like, he has that toughness. He has a little bit of dual threat. He has a cannon of an arm. So it's not like he's a, i I'm trying to I say this night. He's not dumb. It's not like he's this dumb guy with just like a rocket for an arm. It's like, he has kind of looked in the mirror at several points in his career and been like, I need to change this about myself to get a little bit better. And so I think that usually the rocket arm guy is a little bit like, oh, like Matt Stafford, like you just kind of rely on this. Like you just throw all these picks with him. It's like, I could see him cleaning up the picks in the right system. And I think he would be a weapon in that system. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Um and and I like Will I mean friend of the program had him mm-hmm. on well after what his like third career start at Kentucky or something like that had him on that's I think that's actually our most listened to pod that we've ever had it was an episode with really? um yeah him and him and Doring um yeah that was like early 2021 season that was and I like Will Evans a lot I do I really but I I still kind of wonder. If he is going, because he still has adjustments to make, obviously like mental adjustments, he he still needs to figure out how to be craftier and how to not take as many sacks. And where's where's your quicker read? How are you not f- trying to fit fit this throw into this window that's just not quite there? I think that he has a lot of tools that that NFL. NFL front offices are really going to just be drooling over in these underwear workouts. I do. And I think you get him in these meetings and he's great. And he's all of those things. He really, really is. But the lack of success at this level is still kind of alarming. He had a nice finish to the 2021 season outside of that. I don't know, man. I don't know. 10
1: games at Kentucky rules. I don't know. Like, can I, can, like that's what it was breeze at Purdue. Like it's like, Oh, you're at Purdue. What do you,
0: what do you want to do? I know. And QB, if that's but that if that's your biggest thing, if, if that's if that's your biggest thing in your favor, that that always just worries me a little bit. And I
1: guess it's I mean, not... who did C.J. Stroud beat? He was in Ohio State. Let's start asking that question. <laughs> he had fewer quality with the will. Le- <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa.
0: Are you discounting Utah? Are you discounting 2021 Utah? Because I will not have that. I will I not think you're talking about
1: beating Michigan the following season. <laughs> that was his big problem the previous season.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: OK, that's fair.
0: Yeah, that's definitely fair. Uh, let's go to the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. We asked all listeners to submit takes and predictions about future NFL quarterbacks from the SEC. Which I think five are going to get drafted. I think that's the case. I don't think I forgot anybody. Come to think of, no, at least in terms of guys who are leaving from the SEC not right. like guys who are once upon a time in the sec that's too difficult to track in this day and age uh, let's start with this one from our guy Emery. Emery says stetson is drafted late by the bucks when kyle trask gets hurt late in the season stetson takes over leading leading the bucks to a super bowl while winning mvp the nfl has a new tom brady story
1: will are you holding your breath on that one I was waiting for you to talk about Stetson and Trask as a quarterback room for me. I feel like would be very funny. I personally would enjoy that a lot. So, I, and the funny thing is, like I could actually kind of see exactly what happening. That is not far fetched. Like what you because they don't count Trask is the only quarterback on the roster right now. I would be shocked if they didn't bring someone in, like even like a stopgap guy, like their version of Andy Dalton, because it, they just don't seem fired up about Trask. But if they kept Trask and they ended up with Stetson, I could see it. Is it sick that within
0: Within 20 seconds of seeing the Tom Brady news, my entire mindset immediately shifted to Kyle Trask. All of it. I mean, I immediately thought I want to see this guy in the NFL. I I just like not not to say I think he's just going to cook and I think he's going to be some top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I just I'm genuinely curious about what Kyle Trask looks like in the NFL.
1: Well, they got to take a page out of Jimbo's playbook. They should have done that when Tom got there and be like, you know, Kyle – I mean, Kyle looked amazing in practice. If Tom Brady weren't here, he would be starting. We're fired up. But they've, like, kind of done the opposite of that. Like, they've been like, we don't know about this Kyle Traffs guy. Like, whatever they ask – which is dumb because we haven't even seen him play. Like, why would you make us, like, hesitant or ruin his confidence? So, you know what I'm saying? They just don't seem in love with him. But I do want to see him because, like, I haven't really seen him honestly struggle, like, ever, to be to be clear. Like, yeah.
0: There's a little bit of the Patriots situation with, with Stidham. Um, when Brady left the Patriots and I assumed, all right, we're going to see Jared Sidham. this is kind of exciting. Somebody who was really intriguing in his college career, maybe get him into a different scheme, just kind of see what it looks like. And then we just never really kind of got to see him. And they were like, Oh yeah, he's he all with the Raiders about, against the
1: Niners. Now. He might yeah. actually be good.
0: Yeah. Never, never, never rule out. Jared said, that guy's going to be holding a clipboard for a really long time. And he's going to, he's going to win some random games throughout his NFL career. But I was curious. And I, yeah. I would love to see Kyle Trask. I really would. Um, Drew Page. Oh, boy. Drew, you went for the jugular on this one, man. Drew says the Bears will somehow, he didn't say somehow. I added that in there. He said the Bears will somehow trade back and get five picks for the first overall pick. They somehow pick up Levis, Richardson, Hooker, Young, and Bennett. The Bears then run a six quarterback system called Sir Six a lot. Bears haven't had a competent quarterback in my lifetime outside of Jay Cutler. They appear to have one right now in Justin Fields. I'm all for thinking outside of the box. All for it. I have been wanting the Bears to draft two quarterbacks in the same draft for a long time. Really, really would have loved it. At least it would have given me franchise tag Kirk cousins. And that back in the day with, Formerly known as the Washington Redskins, that team at least had that because RG3, when you know the knee stuff happens and, and all the injuries and whatnot, they could at least fall back on that. The Bears have never even given themselves that opportunity. So this obviously this scenario would include uh just bailing on Justin Fields, which we're not we're not fully supporting. Um, I support the idea of the Bears being really creative and thinking outside of the box. Different draft. Different draft this could have happened, Drew. Definitely.
1: Yeah. The Bears front office just receiving a fax. That's like, you need a quarterback and they're like, got it, buddy. Don't worry.
0: (laughs) Don't worry about it. Grant Haney says the Colts trade up and take Will Levis, giving Mel Kiper the opportunity to go on about how he made this prediction months ago. With that being said, Bryce will become the first pick of new Texans head coach and Crimson Tide alum D'Amico Ryan. It's really excited to see that somebody
1: that's got a Bessemer stand team. up, Jess your high. How about that? We love it when Bama guys through and through make it. I'm weirdly like a regional Alabama state because I went to Hoover. Good for him. I would love to see that.
0: Yeah, biggest Bessemer celebrity since Bo Jackson. Jamison. Oh, Jameis. Come on now. I mean, I yeah, I guess I was just going immediately back to Bo Jackson.
1: Yeah, pretty good, pretty good trio though. You know. Yeah.
0: Something in the water there. Um, Grant also says with both quarterbacks in the same division, Young will undoubtedly shine brighter than Levis in each of their meetings and go on to claim rookie of the year honors. And as far as Stetson goes, Jerry Jones and the Cowboys select him in the second round to both put QB pressure on Dak and help <laughs> help give Bennett a chance to complete his court-ordered community service hours. Be smart. I would. I don't think he's got to do those in Dallas. I think he's going to get it worked out. He can do those outside of the state of Texas.
1: Can he do the KCP and get an ankle monitor? <laughs> we see if the NFL with ankle monitor on, that would be incredible. Anyway.
0: Uh, if, yeah, if Bryce goes to the Texans, it would not surprise me at all. Like if, if, if it worked out that way, it wouldn't surprise me. There's There are still a couple of ways in which that could happen with the Texans potentially trading up to get the Bears number one overall pick. That's not off the table. Him falling to two because... The Bears stay at one and they fall in love with Jalen Carter or Will Anderson or something like that. That can still technically happen, though I probably don't think it would. Um, or, as Grant predicted, Colts trade up. If Will Levis goes number one overall, be the first. Yeah, that'd be the first former number one. That'd be the first number one overall pick to have been on the Saturday on
1: Saw podcast. I think about that. Wow. So So are you, you're not, you think they're going to trade, so you're not married but I think either of those options from your perspective would be very cool Carter or the
0: guys that we have some dudes we've been talking about. Yeah. My, my biggest fear is that they're going to trade back outside of that top four and not get enough value. That's Mm. that. That is my biggest concern is that they will not end up with one of those four and they'll, they'll like end up taking it. Like they'll get like the 15th or something like that. I don't think they will do that. I don't but that would be like, and then they like roll the dice on like Quentin Johnson or something like that as, 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 as a guy. And they're just like, see, we got future picks, but maybe the picks don't really line up that well. I, I would love for them to still be able to pick in that top four and get one of those guys. Cause I think there is, I think there is potential for three of those four guys to end up being all pro guys, just based on the numbers of like, one of them is probably going to miss in the top four. That's usually Mm -hmm. the way that this works, but yeah. Um, If they traded with the Colts, wouldn't hate that. Because Colts got a lot of ammo. Would love that. Michael Dark says, Stetson gets drafted in the first round. When he goes up to hug Vince McMahon or Roger Goodell, he'll open up his suit jacket to reveal free Stikwavius t-shirt. Stetson's going to have a fresh fade before the NFL draft, I would imagine. How many times do you think he is going to have to answer questions about. I mean, I talked about this with Aaron, so I'm repeating myself here, but the amount of times that he is going to have to discuss pretty low moment in his life. Very high,
1: very high. Don't
0: think he's going to the first round. I'll say I'll, I'll, that. There's my bold prediction.
1: Not going in the first round. Probably. You hire me in PR, man. Cause I should be like, look, you know, I'm such a team player. Skipped on the senior bowl to go party with my team. Wanted to let them feel great for the draft, get them ready, help them prepare. Okay, it's my job. I'm the vibes guy. I've been directing everybody around for years in order to keep it going. Okay.
0: Ultimate vibes
1: guy. He is.
0: Will you like this one? Christopher James Smith says Hooker becomes the new Drew Brees, drafted by the Jets, traded to the Saints. There's not a lot of guys that have followed that model to success. Traded by the team that drafted you at the quarterback position. Right. And then take off. It is really, really rare. And Wait, he wasn't traded though. He's a free agent. Okay, so you're able to walk
1: and yeah. then go sign with another team and then your career takes off. That's yeah, trade no trading's even wilder because teams are giving up on guys for sure. Like what happened to Tannehill. You know what I'm saying? Like there's there's been teams that are just like, yeah, but I mean, doing the uh like the the true Bulk of your career is good for another team, and you were traded because, like I said, like some teams are just stupid, and they're just like, ah, you yep. get out of here. Um, that happened, I feel like they have a Steve Young, and like I think it was the Bucks, but yeah, well, the Bucks, good yeah, good point, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, dude, I'm like slowly trying to. The Saints have just burned me so many times, but like now they got that 20th pick, they might. <laughs> What's the whole thing? It's like this has failed for so many people, but we could be different, <laughs> we could be different, we could totally be
0: different. That's why when the Trey Lance trade discussions come up. Like, what what would it mean if the Niners just bailed on him that quickly? Or Zach Wilson? If I'm I'm the trading partner, I'm probably going to have some sort of buyer's remorse about that or be thinking about that the entire time. I mean, Zach Wilson, we've seen a little bit more. There's not really a whole lot of hiding what his weaknesses are. Whereas Trey Lance, if they're making that evaluation that they want to move on from him and Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy is their guy moving forward, what does that say about Trey Lance? And because that market declines just basic based on the Niners having that thought in their head at all. And that's what I think is really interesting and why you
1: probably will get 30 cents on the dollar for somebody like that. I would if think. Yeah. It was given what they gave up for him. Cause remember, they did all that and we were like talking about maybe they take back Jones, which is really funny looking back, but it's like, like, yeah you almost can't even because you literally directly know what that guy is worth when you traded for him so it makes you look even dumber yeah it, that actually might be a camp battle because like dude, who would have thought we saw josh johnson in that playoff game as weird as Goodness. brock Purdy is that's even weirder but if they stick like if they don't wally pip him and he comes back healthy and Trey lance comes back healthy that could actually be a really interesting battle because obviously one of them is like one game for the Niners. yeah
0: yeah, I've I've never really been a Trey Lance guy. I don't like limited snaps, especially when they're coming at the FCS level. But, um, yeah, they that that he's like Bigfoot. No
1: one's actually seen him play. I know. He's, he's like weird. some. So maybe there's your point. Maybe you just keep him to some mythical cryptid, and you're just like, we promised he's really good. Just take him. Which is just weird
0: because the the two quarterbacks before him at North Dakota State were. Carson Wentz and Easton Stick, guys who we felt like you saw a lot of. And then Trey Lance, which mm-hmm. didn't really see a whole lot of very weirdly. Zabulia. Like
1: Come on now. We saw enough of him. Good point. Good point. Zabulia well. played more games.
0: <laughs> Shout out Zabulia. Hopefully he's going to have a great coaching career. Um, okay. Let's end with one here um, from, oh, which these are both pretty mean. Um, we, hit, we always get a lot of Anthony Richardson hate in the Facebook group. So I'm trying to be nice here. Okay, let's go with this one from Derek Walden. Derek says Anthony Richardson will be drafted as a quarterback, but will be a tight end by year three. It's like essentially what Eli Stowers did at AM. He hit the portal. Um, look. You're essentially saying you think he's gonna follow a little bit more of the Tebow mold in condensed time, and that process will be expedited. And that'll be so bad early on. I would imagine that a guy like that is not going to change positions and that he would play in some other level of football. And Lord knows with the arena league coming back, the XFL is going to be there. There are a lot of places to be seen and that he would probably want to play quarterback elsewhere. But Anthony Richardson being out of the year or being out of the league before year five Those odds would be interesting. They would because how many, how many teams really like being able to work with quarterbacks and and take two, three years developing them? Usually by the time that happens, a new front office is coming in or a new head coach is coming in. You just don't have that time. You just don't. Like that's why that's why his situation just kind of makes me nervous. And I I do really wish he could pull an Anaya Smith, like who Anaya Smith can just somehow announce, oh yeah, by the way, I'm I'm actually coming back to school. It's like, wait, what? deadline already passed
1: where did it's i miss so for lots of reasons actually sure I, all right i'm see sure it sir? has it figured out legally fine yeah i, th- I think uh, you know one of the strangest like uh, i don't know if you see the view like i know that who i think it is craziest one of those i've ever had was logan thomas in 2020 ever oh, yeah. because i remember him vividly at virginia tech as a quarterback vividly in like yeah 2010 and i was like oh yeah uh, like so i'm getting passes over the bills or i guess this is the football team or the, at that point is the football team was like that's Logan Thomas. I know who I think it is because he had, he had six, almost 700 yards, six touchdowns. He was like a really good tight end. But Logan Thomas is 6'6", about, about 280, and Anthony Richardson is about 6'4". So I don't think that's like – he's not – big. and Anthony Richardson's bigger than, than he plays. Does that make sense? Like he didn't play like a 6'4 player in my opinion. He's very fast. And so he, he plays like a little bit more like a 6'1", 6'2 guy in my opinion. He doesn't have like his massive presence. I think you can convert him. I think that, you know, he's going to be a guy who – he probably would just, if he does not work, He's a lot of teams will take a chance on figuring him out because he has such physical tools that are undoubtable that you could, even if you put him, like, I think the floor for Anthony Richardson is like a, a Taysom Hill role, where it's like, you throw him in, he throws a missile down the field, he's faster than Taysom, he has a better arm, and I think that as teams are starting to kind of, like, get more innovative, maybe a role for a guy like that, even if he's not an every-down starter, might actually be possible because he has undoubted talents. you know what I'm saying? There's only one team in the NFL that's Using somebody like Taysom Hill, though, you know, and to you know to mix results as well, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I don't. I just I think he's that special. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I think that he like if you have him and you have like a like a like not a great quarterback, well, even if you do, like if you have an established starter and you and he fizzled out somewhere yeah. else, you could bring him in and be like, I could get something like an older quarterback, like an Aaron Rodgers. If you had him, be like, oh dude, we could run a totally different package with him. Anyway, I I I will continue
0: to say I want to be wrong about Anthony Richardson. I want to see that guy have unbelievable success in the NFL. We see that full skill set on display. I would love nothing more than that. I will be rooting for the kid. I will not be the the person cherry picking like the bad stats about him to fit my narrative. I will not be doing that. I am pro Anthony Richardson. I
1: just would not bet on it. Yeah, I don't think, like, that's the weird thing. It's like, I don't really believe in him as an NFL quarterback very much, but I also feel like he's an NFL player. I just don't really know what position, but I don't think he can play receiver. (laughs) Or So so it's like, how do you get this player, make him an H-back? I don't know, but he's clearly big, fast, strong enough to be an NFL player. So I don't know where he could go if he doesn't work out a quarterback, really, but I think it's somewhere.
0: Yep, agreed, agreed. Um, we are going to have Trevor Sycamore coming on for Pro Football Focus. He's going to come on early next week. He'll talk about what he saw at the Senior Bowl, and we'll talk some a little bit of some prospect stuff, and we'll get into more of that just like we talked about just here and now and not just quarterbacks from the SEC. Uh, we got A-list guests coming up with, with the Super Bowl ahead. Um, not going to tease any of those just yet, but A-list guests will be coming up uh, very very soon on the Saturday Down South podcast. If you have not, leave us a five star review, subscribe, follow us on Twitter at the SES pod, at Sat Down South, subscribe to our basketball newsletter, Blue Chip Grit. You can do that at bluechipgrit.com. Join the Facebook group, here named Red On Air with figuring out what going golden brush. Thanks guys. Talk soon.